0: Hello, and welcome to The Wonderful World of Wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find out more about us on our Facebook page, The Wonderful World of Wine, and find past episodes on SoundCloud. Hi there and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. You know, every week Mark and I get together and we talk about articles that are related to uh, the wine industry, wine sciences, current trends in the wine world. And we both have a really good time doing a lot of this research, but we don't usually talk about these things ahead of time. So the first time that we get to sort of sit down and debate and discuss really is when we are talking about these things on air for all of you. So it's fun for us because it really just... Just is how we ordinarily communicate anyway you know we like to debate and we like to (laughs) throw different ideas at each other uh and see what each other's opinions are about so for us this show is a whole lot of fun and is a great extension of all of the classes and education that we do yeah and then we've also got some ideas about what do we google during the week you know what are we actually looking into researching what is top of mind front of mind for us So, what uh, what kind of things were you curious about or researching about this week, Mark?
1: Well, Kim, this week I it's rose season
0: already it's again. Coming, so I know. we
1: have to put in our orders early for spring. Yeah. But one of the requests I got was for a new rosé that was out, and I'm not sure you heard of it or not, but it's called JNSQ, Je Ne Sais Quoi. Oh, okay. And it's a California rosé, so I did a little research. It's actually going to retail in the upper $20 range, which I, that's why I did the research. Okay. Why is it? And it, be, it comes in this French glass perfume bottle. Ooh, So fancy. I think the consumers are going to pay for the packaging, but yeah. they're doing great social media campaigns with great graphics, so that's this, what I Googled.
0: This is isn't the Sarah Jessica Parker rosé? I
1: thought there was something linked with her.
0: Yeah, she's got a, apparently like a wine line coming out too. Okay, maybe that's not available in Massachusetts yet. I don't, I don't and the
1: tagline was uh, "California born with French accent." Ah, so interesting. All right. So
0: stay tuned, what folks. What about
1: you? What did you Google? yourself?
0: I googled. I'm. Everybody knows I'm a wine geek, and I. No. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I love grape varieties and what are the genetics of different grape varieties. So, like, I like figuring out, like, okay, this grape variety, its parents are this grape and this grape, and you can kind of see how they were combined by biologists that they developed a new grape variety. So, I kind of get all geeky about that. So, I was doing research about the Torontes grape, and I learned what its parentage is. And Torontes, apparently, this is pretty cool, is was developed in South America. So, most of the grapes and the the wines that we drink nowadays, you know, they have their beginnings back in Europe. But Torontes is, if not the only, one of the only vitis vinifera, a so wine grape, grapes that was developed in the New World. So it was developed in, I believe, Argentina, and produces really aromatic, really beautiful, almost sort of Riesling-like uh, white wine in mostly Argentina. And I thought that was really cool. Interesting. Yeah. Geeky and too, something different. But I know that's me. <laughs> <laughs> So for our first topic today uh, from one of our favorite wine websites, daily750.com, back to my sort of love of science of wine, talking about the science of esters and what are esters. And they are those uh, fruity, aromatic compounds that when you stick your nose in a glass of a young, fresh wine, gives you all those really pretty yummy fruits. Fruity smells. What did you take from this article, Mark?
1: I think it's funny. We always end up with the sciencey ones that you stop with, right? Goodness. So, <laughs> well, I love when we talk about wines that are aromatic. So, and it's all about these esters. And this is just the scientific thing of what is causing these aromas, what creates the aromas. So they were saying, interesting enough, the aromas from grapes are actually very few aromas. Or, right. It's all generated from fermentation or malolactic fermentation or from aging that gives you these esters. So right. it was a very interesting subject.
0: What I thought was very interesting about this, and something that I learned from reading this article, was that, so many of these fruity, specific fruity aromas that you get when wines are very, very young, really don't last very long and that they are native to the grape instead of from this fermentation process. And so there are some things that really do disappear rather quickly, which is, which makes sense to me because we always tell people that white wines for, for certain grape varieties, if you want to really appreciate all those fruity flavors, you really want to drink them young because they start to age out pretty quickly. And so this really, showed us kind of the science behind why that happens. And when you think about things like tropical notes or citrus notes in certain wines and aromatic wines like Albarino and Riesling and Sauvignon Blanc really came to mind here, that those are from the grape. But then after they get a little bit older, they sort of fall apart and then you don't smell those aromas anymore. So I thought that was sort of fascinating.
1: You know, many times I'm thinking back and we had a Portuguese wine that you and I both liked. And then I remember one day saying to you, about an hour after you opened it, Kim did it did the fruit just kind of die like mm-hmm. go away and you you agreed so yeah I think that's an excellent example of how this relates to the esters after yeah. a while sometimes they just it's just gone it's yeah. just, for some reason certain grape varietals but I saw a few things where it said there's about 160 esters that are ID'd and then I saw another article that said there's only about 11 but 83 of those are related to the actual effects from wine so I'm kind of confused on uh, are they saying an ester is like you know we have these charts about uh, wine flavors and aromas those chats are huge so they are. so i guess the 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 aromas and the esters could have to be separated according to the geeky science part yeah i
0: think it's that esters are one potential aroma compound but then there are other ones as well so i like to tell people that fermentation plays such a big part in what we taste in a wine like if you were to have a cup of grape juice just unfermented grape juice from say malbec grapes that someone had pressed for you and you, you you're sticking your nose in that cup versus a glass of Malbec. You are not going to smell nearly as much stuff out of that cup of grape juice than you will out of that glass of wine. Because yes, there are ester compounds that are present in that grape juice, but most of what you're going to be getting out of that glass of wine happens during fermentation. So fermentation releases all these other things because they recombine chemically and then produce all of these other compounds that then our noses are trying to put words to and recognize as something else. So fermentation adds adds to that complexity. So it really is more than just a grape juice with alcohol in it. there is, There are changes that take place during fermentation that affects the flavor, the color, and the aroma.
1: I liked how they said in this article that the esters should be called the wine's perfume, yeah. right? So it is it's all about the aroma.
0: And that's how we describe these wines sometimes. Describe them as perfumey because a lot of times they have sort of floral notes to them too. So I I sort of like this uh, putting together these ideas of wine and perfume because there are a lot there's a lot of overlap.
1: And they mentioned a lot of the scientific like you had mentioned Kim, the the fermentation, the yeast, the alcohol, mm-hmm. the acids, yep. all
0: fermentation temperature, that's important. Temperature it mm, yeah.
1: all imparts different types of of esters into a wine, so right. very geeky stuff.
0: Geeky stuff, but just uh, you know, keep that in mind when you have your next glass of wine. You know, even if you're not at a wine tasting, if you still want to get maybe a little bit more of, I'd say, cerebral enjoyment out of that glass of wine, you know, give it a little sniff. Don't just throw your wine back, smell it, pay some attention to what it tastes like, give it a little bit of thought, and your appreciation of that wine will only grow. And you
1: mentioned, Kim, the acids and the alcohol. They had talked about two types of ways that these esters get. You say in the aging, there's an enzyme interaction that leads to esters from aging. And they said there was a chemical that leads from the alcohol. So were you you figuring out what they were kind of interpreting on that?
0: I think it's just more of those interactions. Yeah, because when fermentation takes, Place it's not just one reaction; it's a bunch of different reactions. So it's not as simple as "Hey, yeast eats sugar and then produces carbon dioxide and alcohol." It's a lot more complicated than that, and there are different byproducts that happen at different stages during the fermentation process. Some of which are enzymatic, and some of which are more microbial. So I think that that's what they were talking about: is that you're actually going through a whole bunch of little steps, and then different things are produced at those different steps. And you Does that always make sense? Hear,
1: yeah, and you always hear. Eight aged wines, you're saying they're a bouquet and young wines is an aroma. So I've never thought of it as the aged wines with esters. I always just think, yeah, there's a lot more yeah, happening. With and
0: ages. I honestly, I don't think anybody ever thinks about it that way. I mean, some higher level professionals who do deal with these topics um, more on a daily basis than we do. I'm sure I think about it fairly frequently. But for us, and even with those terms, you know, aroma, bouquet, we do run across that differentiation in a lot of our readings. But when I'm having kind of a one-on-one conversation, Conversation or in sort of a smaller class setting, I very rarely ever use the term bouquet anymore. I almost kind of feel like it's sort of old-fashioned. I don't know. What do you? Yeah.
1: Do you ever use? No, I just like to say. Even that. when I
0: have an older wine, I don't think that I use the term bouquet. Maybe I should use it a little bit more. But it is there are those layers. You know, how do you describe a wine that is young and fresh and fruity, and then as it keeps changing as it gets older, we have to come up with new terminology to describe those aromas because they are different from what the wine smells like. When when, when it's young
1: but i probably would say i definitely use bouquet more than i do esters yes so
0: i don't think i ever use esters i probably yeah. do use esters every once in a while but not certainly not as frequently as as aromas
1: You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. And to follow past episodes, please find us on iTunes at The Wonderful World of Wine. Next, we have another article from 750.com. And this, Kim, is right up your alley. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why is it so hard to be a mom in the wine? industry
0: it's true it's hard to be a mom in the wine industry i have two kids
1: so (laughs) first off i have to say kim being a mom is the hardest job in the world never (laughs) mind having a job while doing this i don't
0: think being a dad is a particularly easy task either it's um
1: interesting a lot of talk lately about moms it's not about working it's about being a mom and needing a drink of wine because (laughs) you're doing that mom work but it never really says because you want to drink a wine because you're working and you're being a mom it's because you're
0: trying to balance all of it. You're trying to balance the the work part and the parenting part and making sure that you're there for your kids when they need you. But also you want to be present in your work situation as well. Obviously, we all want to do a good job at work. But this article really did ring true for me. I've been a parent in the wine industry, both in retail and in wholesale and in having my own company. And it's like I can compare it between I was in the wine industry before I had children. And obviously, I'm in the wine industry now with with young children. And it, it it's it's hard and i and it's hard in every industry but the wine industry and hospitality in, industry in general does have its own set of challenges as you are a parent who's also responsible for making sure that your kids have somebody there when they get off the school bus and what the heck do you do during summer vacations so yeah it's uh it can be it can be a challenge well there's, um, there's two things on
1: that kim i you, you were saying the industry itself alcohol related now were you ever pregnant and selling wine or working in wine twice so did, so obviously i know you didn't you can drink, <laughs> right? And I see that a lot when a saleswoman would come in, she's pregnant, and she has wine, and she's telling me, oh, this is what it is. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I know you didn't taste it, right? I still so, smelled a lot of yeah, wine, though.
0: Yeah. yeah so I, that's where I, I, wanted, I uh, wanted to get yeah. across.
1: You still took pot yeah, that way. Yes. Yeah.
0: When I was pregnant with my first son, and this was 11 years ago now, I was on the road. I had a wholesale job. And I still participated in our Friday meetings where we would be either introduced to new wines or would have tastings of stock that we had had for a while. And, and I would nose the wines if I ever tasted them, I would just spit them right out. But I didn't do that all that often. But I did try to stay current with the things that we had because I always wanted to still be my my good old professional self. But I would have to say that the most pushback I got was when I was conducting tastings. So not my interactions with my buyers and with my customers. But if I was, say, in one of my retail stores and I was pouring wine for people, I would get comments from people like, I shouldn't even be pouring wine for you. I'm like, I'm not drinking it. Oh, <laughs> I'm not tasting it. But yeah, I got, I got a lot of stuff eye -eye doing that job it wasn't quite as bad when I was actually working retail I don't remember if I did a whole lot of pouring when I was pregnant with kid number two but I remember it was it did get physically tough being pregnant and working retail I remember at one point I was super huge my second kid and I was trying to shelve bottles and I was trying to like maneuver my gigantic body down to the wine shelf and shelf bottles and that was like that was when I was like I think maternity leave needs to start soon because I physically I physically could not do the job anymore and it was really like oh boy what am i doing with this gigantic belly but yeah so that was it was interesting being pregnant and working in the booze industry i have to say
1: i see that in retail if if a pregnant woman comes in and she's buying any alcohol the first thing they'll say is it isn't for me yeah you know people are so afraid that you're going to have this bad thought yeah. so i can see how you got that and it, i it, felt
0: like i was always defending myself it's like yes okay this is this is a short phase in my life i'm i'm not going to quit my job because <laughs> i'm pregnant so it was that. yeah not so so the other, necessarily easy.
1: the other thing besides it's an alcohol industry, it's the hours on a lot of these jobs in the industry, like you said, doing tastings. They're not at nine in the morning, 10 in the morning, or mm-hmm. they're not what they would say mother hours or school hours, correct? Mm-hmm. So you, you're out at night, you have to attend these events, so you have to adjust schedule as well, yeah. correct? Yeah,
0: and the hard thing for me for that one when I had little kids was daycare closed at six. So even if I had a nine to five job, that's still hard for working parents who have a traditional Monday through Friday, nine to five job. If your daycare closes at six o'clock and you live an hour away, how are you getting there? It's difficult, I think, for any parent of young children to make it work with either a job with traditional hours or with non-traditional hours and trying to work within the frame of the school day that ends at three o'clock or two o'clock, depending on how old your kids are or your daycare situation. So there's always a lot of interesting balance, I think, that that has to go on. But I, feel, I actually kind of felt like it was almost the hours were almost a little bit easier with young children because I could work weekends and then have days of the week off. And then my husband would be with the kids on the weekends. So we really developed this very balanced parenting schedule, I guess you can say, where I was the alone parent with the kids. For a couple of days during the week, he was the alone parent with the kids or, over on the weekends, and I actually think that works really well for us because we didn't fall into that trap of oh, mom takes over all the childcare duties. We had a, we and we still continue to have a very balanced uh, way of watching over the kids because of my untraditional schedule, and my untraditional schedule sort of continues nowadays. So out a lot of nights, so the kids are home with my husband a lot of nights. So you kind of yeah, you well, just you work with of- the.
1: A good opportunity, too, for that type of schedule. There are a lot of jobs that moms can take part of in the wine industry. You can, you can do those home wine events, mm-hmm. or wine clubs. You can do retail work. You can do in-store tasting. So there are right. a lot of part-time jobs in the industry. Especially if you don't have a problem
0: with working on the weekends. Yeah, mom, Yeah. Yep. if
1: you have coverage, like yep. you said. Yep.
0: So and if you if you do have either a partner who is going to be covering your, a lot of the childcare for when you are at work, or if you're, you know grandparents or neighbors, or we all we all try to make it work.
1: So as far as other positions for women in general in, in wine, it was mentioned ten percent of wineries in the United States have w- uh, women winemakers. Ten percent. That's really really low. small. I feel right? like that's and really low. It seems like we always see an article promoting women in wine. Uh, my personal view. On it is when I go to wine events, and you, you may be seeing this as well, Kim. There are I see more women now in the industry than I have ten years ago. Yeah, it more definitely
0: ways. is is growing, and I actually mentioned this last week that I had my sales route. We had I think thirty, let's say like thirty five salespeople. Only six of us were female, and it, that definitely has grown. And that was about ten years ago. We see a lot of women working on the importer side. Definitely more on the distribution side. So that is changing. I just like you just said, you know, when I when I go to trade tastings, a lot of folks that are representing their wineries or representing their import company are women. So that moves, I think, right in a good direction. I am seeing more winery folks who are women, like you said, winery owners. And uh, this article did point out that a lot of the newer graduates from University of California at Davis are women. It's like 62, 63 percent of, of most recent graduating classes have been women. So now we are starting to see that from the technical side, we have we've we've made some good advances Advances in the industry and maybe it's just that it takes a long time for the rest of <laughs> the rest of the industry to catch up yeah, but we see, it's changing
1: in general we see a lot of women in our education classes and our club events oh, yeah. so i can see interest mm-hmm. is is there
0: and right? i sort of have found that women are a little more open-minded about learning new, you know, about new topics. And there's a lot of enthusiasm, I feel like, from our female participants. And I I suppose it's a little bit of a stereotype, but it does seem like men know what they know and they don't want to be confronted with the idea that maybe they don't know some stuff. So there's a hesitation there to want to put themselves. And I also think it's a social activity. You know, women are much more, I guess, conditioned to be comfortable in more social situations where, yeah, you're going to go out with your girlfriends you're going to have a book club you're going to do a wine thing you're going to go to a winery just because it's a fun thing to do with your girlfriends i don't i don't think that a lot of men have those outlets so we're we're kind of lucky in that regard that you know the those sorts of things are a little bit more acceptable but you do we do see way more women in our classes than we do men the, one of the come on guys come on out to the wine classes yeah
1: really well why am I saying I like the <laughs> women um, one of the things Kim it's always mentioned in the in the wine industry is women have a much better palate than men so anytime a woman says to me if you tell me has that what,
0: been scientifically proven It ha- well
1: it, as far as I'm it has been because we had that woman who was a who took the sommelier exam they did an mri we talked about this in the past oh, yeah the MRI they, her, her brain. and she was actually activating parts of her brain did they actually.
0: mri a guy too or was it you just know, this they one d- they didn't
1: but That's i was just one example I assume they were comparing it to uh, a normal brain which i don't you know, know. but that might question, just
0: though. be her that might not have anything to, to do with the fact that she's a female that might she might just be exceptional yeah
1: that would have been a better test yeah for a guy and, uh, yeah side by side and see what they were both activated but yeah so women in the wine world and moms they give you a lot of credit for (laughs) doing that
0: You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. For more information about Mark, you can go to his website, franklinliquors.com. And for more information about myself, you can go to vinitaswineworks.com. And for past episodes of our show, please find us on iTunes at The Wonderful World of Wine. The next topic we want to discuss is wine labels, which is a topic that we come back to fairly often, but a different spin on them this time. Is less really more on a wine label or do consumers want more? more information telling them more about the specifics about that wine that they're buying and I thought this was interesting because it's almost like the um the title was a little misleading because when I think of less on a wine label I'm thinking of some of those like higher end California wines where they don't even tell you the name of the wine on the front it's just like some abstract picture and there's a little bit of information on the back and you really sort of have to go digging as to what this wine is all about but they're actually talking about more specific apple And do wine labels need to convey more information about more specific site in order for consumers to understand more about the wines? And I'm kind of seeing this more as a difference between sort of more international styles and then more traditional wines from Europe. What was your take on this, Mark?
1: Yeah, I had the same thing. It was kind of, it was raising a debate if it's a brand only on the label or it's the region on the label. And when you think of a region on the label, you're always thinking European. An old world where right. this is the place, so you should know the grape. So, I guess the debate is do you want to know all that detail or just this is the brand? And I think it's hard
0: when, you know, the wine buying public can be so very different. There are probably, I know, there are people out there who only want like a basic little bit of information. It's from California, it's made from Chardonnay. Boom, I'm done. I know what I'm getting. Or there are some people who have a little bit more of that background knowledge who want to look at that label and have. Have them tell the, tell them a little bit more information about it. Like, oh, this is from Chablis and therefore I know that it is a dry, unoaked Chardonnay. This is exactly what I'm looking for. So I think a lot of it does depend on who is the audience? Who is the market that these labels are being put out there for? Who are they trying to get to buy their wines? And, and this whole idea of brand and branding, is, I think, is very important because for at least when I think about wines and wine brands, sometimes it's not just like the brand branding of like Apple and Microsoft and Nike. It's not just those brands, but regions can also sort of come across as a brand. And we talk about Prosecco all the time. That's a style of wine that has sort of taken off with a life of its own and is almost kind of like a brand. So I think for wine, there are a lot of gray areas where people might recognize one term, but not another term. And what information on that label is the most valuable to a consumer?
1: Yeah, brands, and wineries they have to decide I mean Prosecco got lucky people it's a brand right. and they and know, champagne they know is the it. same
0: way you know and I, I kind of like it, uh, the sparkling wine you know <laughs> yeah
1: sparkling well less to me less information a lot of times helps sell and it's proven like it was mentioned in this article the Germans if you look at a German wine label it's probably the most confusing so complicated world. so they just simplified it so because they knew the consumers especially the American consumer wanted wanted simply to tell me w- what is in here it's riesling it's from this area that's it they they didn't care about the single vineyard the uh, you know the single appellation whatever so they did studies on that and that's that's what sold yeah. that's what's selling people
0: i think it's a very small percentage of the wine buying population that is going to dig into that nitty gritty on the label and really understand what all of that info is telling you like what probably like what five or ten percent maybe of the wine buying public would look at a german label and be like oh i understand what that what that's telling me but the rest of the population that is out there looking to buy a wine probably sees all that and it's just gobbledygook (laughs) and
1: it's very it can be very very confusing you mentioned the prosecco kim i think a lot of the big brands like uh, say like a Mark West when you see Mark West now what's the first thing you think about if you saw Mark West on a label Pinot Noir Pinot Noir (laughs) right you don't even care it says Pinot Noir because that brand is just known for Pinot Noir so I think if those powerful brands like that they should take advantage of that marketing but if you're a small guy and you want to get on the shelf maybe more information in this case is better yeah you know tell me more about your winery funny
0: Uh, side note on this another brand besides Mark West that does this and does this very very well is Oyster Bay and everybody sort of knows it's Oyster Bay Sauvignon Blanc. It's New Zealand. It's on like a gajillion wine lists. I went over to a friend's house and she had wine open on the counter, and I saw Oyster Bay, and without even thinking, I just assumed it was Sauvignon Blanc. It was a Pinot Gris it or something. It was Chardonnay. <laughs> Chardonnay. Yeah. yeah. And I took one sip, and I'm like, "Whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. What's <laughs> this, going on? this isn't my wine. <laughs> it it's was funny. really yeah, you, funny. Yeah. And I don't feel like I get tricked all that often. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I totally got tricked. People, so, when they thank you ask Christina, for, <laughs> when
1: they ask for Oyster Bay, it's like, "Yeah, you want Sauvignon Blanc, right? And they're like, "That's Blanc. it, right? (laughs) But they do. And they make Pinot Noir as well. But yeah, that's interesting.
0: So I was totally, yeah, I I was totally taken unawares. And I, yeah, that that branding thing, they've done such a good job with branding themselves as oyster-based Sauvignon Blanc that I was completely tricked. So this
1: is about is less better on a label and you had mentioned it first about these cult wines, where it might just have an initial or you have to be well known and in that case people they don't really care because they know the the brand but for me i think lately trending has been give more information and it's based more on the location tell me more about the location
0: and that's exactly what this article is saying is that is this is this direction that labeling is going where you're getting more and more specific on the label as far as the region is this a good thing is this not a good thing so you are seeing this this seeing trending more
1: and more information be put out and, and we, we the bad part i guess about this is we had an article in the past where the gentleman was putting more and more false information and got in trouble mm-hmm. and had to take his wine off the shelves but i think it gives you a lot that you can when you see a bottle and if there is a lot on there the good thing for me about it is take it buy it take it home and research that mm-hmm. information that's on the bottle it can be fun while you're drinking it and to research what all that is. and it's
0: nice you know if you are in the and you have time pull out your cell phone and google some of those terms on the label that you might not understand whether it's a single vineyard or whether it's a region of france that you've never heard of for yay for the power of google because you can find every everything and even if it's something as simple as going to wikipedia because like every grape variety has a wikipedia entry every single region wine region in the world wikipedia will tell you a little bit something about that that wine region so there's lots and lots of information at our fingertips that can help you with your buying
1: if you're a label shopper we talk about this all the time too is people buy based on a label mm-hmm. if you're walking up to a label and, and there's a monkey on it then you <laughs> buy it because there's a monkey research because many times it's a trick i've been mean, i've had this before where gentleman's told me there was a sauvignon blanc called monkey bay sauvignon blanc and a lot of people were buying it because the monkey on the sauvignon blanc and i had a new zealand winemaker come to me and says we're so upset about this because there's absolutely no monkeys
0: <laughs> new monkeys in, in new zealand.
1: zealand right but <laughs> People are buying this like crazy. I mean, you buy Yellowtail because of the little kangaroo. Obviously, there's kangaroo. But that's branding. But. That's, when you buy a label yeah. like that because of a graphic or something, research why it's on there. Many times it's significant to the winery. Why that logo or something like that? I mean, Sandeman Port with the with the gentleman with the cape has to do with the history of Port and the Cape and mm-hmm. the Portuguese culture. Uh, so research it and have fun.
0: And it's you know it kind of ties back into this whole idea of wine as storytelling. A lot of smaller wineries or bigger wineries or historic wineries like they have stories to tell. There are reasons why they. Make the wines they do There are reasons why they are they are where they are That winery could have been in the same family For hundreds of years And I find that stuff to be really fascinating And it really can tie what you're eating and drinking With the larger world And people want to know where their food comes from You know, people are really into If you shop at the farmer's market You want to know who's growing your food A lot more with like local eggs And local produce and things And wine can be just as much of a tie to the producer As um, as food products So yeah, a little reason research can take you a long way.
1: Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. We've been exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information on our show, please find us on iTunes at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we're also on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers.